Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions. Each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Moasasi, and I'm your host for the Facts Roundtable podcast. I'm a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog. Connecting with our child's teacher is key to keeping our children with food allergies safe at school, but this is much harder now during the COVID-19 pandemic. We are sitting down with speaker, teacher, and author, Alex Kajitani, to explore how we can improve our communication and connecting with teachers. Alex, welcome to the show today. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely an honor. Wonderful. Well, we're going to dive right in. So we met in 2019 at the FACT Teen Retreat. So can you share with listeners how you joined our food allergy community? Yeah, I think my, you know, our, our backstory really is like so many food allergy parents. We've got uh, two daughters. One of them is 14 now, but when she was a year and a half old, gave her a bite of food and she had a full-blown anaphylactic reaction. And so from that moment on, we, you know, everything changed, but we threw ourselves into learning as much as we could and meeting as many people as we could and, you know, reading the research and coming up with strategies on how to live our lives. And so our daughter, like I said, our oldest daughter is now 14. And so it was just an excellent opportunity for us to get on a plane. We live in California and, and fly to Chicago and just meet so many people who were dealing with similar issues, but at the same time, you know, had different approaches, different strategies, and sort of different experiences and outlook on the way that they approach life with having children with food allergies. And I have to say, I also, uh, I don't have anaphylactic food allergies, but I have anaphylactic bee sting allergy. I've been an EpiPen and now AviQ carrier for many years myself. I've never left the house without one in many, many years. Well, I'm glad to hear you're very well protected and you just manage food allergies well. I have to say, I love the teen retreat because it's a time to connect with other parents and just really have a nice time. So now about you, you were named California Teacher of the Year. So can you share with listeners your background? Yeah, that's been a, an amazing journey. Before I was a teacher, I was actually a restaurant manager. Would sort of go into work at three o'clock in the afternoon to start my evening shift, and I had a lot of fun, but just got absolutely exhausted. I'm, I've always been an early morning person, and so going into work to start my shift at three in the afternoon was always pretty tough. And I had always just dreamed about being a teacher, and I just sort of finally admitted that to myself and took the steps that I had to take. Got my teaching credential began working. As I was studying education and learning about it, I really developed a passion for uh, helping students who went to school in low-income neighborhoods. So just really have devoted really my life and my career to helping students specifically in, in these schools. Became a math teacher, a middle school math teacher. Just started teaching away. And you know, here I am 20 years later, having taught thousands of students the quadratic formula. And now I've got a great job where I travel around the country, at least I was before the pandemic hit, but doing it all virtually now and 
doing trainings for teachers on everything from how to engage students both virtually as well as online to you know working with math teachers on how to teach that quadratic formula. Okay, so I don't even remember the quadratic formula. You mentioned it and my brain went, hmm, okay, I must have learned that. I love that you're the math guru, but actually you're not the math guru. You have the title of the Rappin' Mathematician. So can you share how you earned this title and if you only rap math or are there other things? Oh, yeah. It was out of complete desperation. I, I'm now known around the world as the rapid mathematician, but I didn't always start out that way. When I first started teaching, I was really struggling to connect with my students. And here I had my master's degree and my teaching credential and had put in all this time and got glowing reviews. And I couldn't get my students to seemingly pay attention or you know even remember the math I had just taught them. But what I realized is a rap song would come out on Monday. And by Tuesday, they seemed to have every single word memorized. And so I thought, okay, I got to play on this strength. And so one day we were studying adding and subtracting decimals. I wrote a song about the decimal point called the itty bitty dot. And I practiced it all night. And I thought, I'm going to be the man when I come into school tomorrow. And the kids came in, I hit play, I busted it out. They laughed at me, you know, like falling out of their chairs, laughing at me. And I thought, okay, you know, well, that was a disaster. And then later I was walking to the teacher's lounge for lunch. They were all singing the song. The next day, I think for the first time ever, they ran into my class with the same amount of energy that they normally ran out of my class with. And they were saying things like, oh, Mr. Kajitani, are you going to rap again? Yesterday was the best day ever in math class. And of course, at the end of the week, their test scores shot through the roof. And so I like to say I've been math rapping ever since. But along with my students, we ended up creating CDs and videos that have received, I think, a combined couple million hits on YouTube and things like that and are now being used all over the world to engage kids in math and make them cool. And and that even led to the creation of an interactive online program to help students master their times tables that's become wildly popular called multiplicationnation.com. And it's, like I said, just a fun way to get kids to learn something that's uh, not always considered fun. Well, I listened to the Itty Bitty Dot. Is that what oh, it was good. called? I oh, have yeah. listened to that one and I was impressed. Way to go. Wow. Well, thank you. I always tell people, please be kind. I'm a teacher who raps, not a rapper who teaches. But yeah, so far it's been a, a lot of math, some general stuff. Haven't strayed too far from math yet. Love that. All right. So now, Alex, you're a published author with several books. And one book that stood out to me was the Chicken Soup for the Soul book entitled Inspiration for Teachers, 101 Stories About How You Make a Difference. So you co-authored this book with Amy Newmark. So now why did the two of you write this book? That was a great book. It was so much fun to do. And similar to most Chicken Soup for the Soul books, or probably all of them, there's a chance for people to submit stories. And that book actually got, I think, like a record number of submissions from teachers and parents and people who wanted to submit stories to be considered for this book. And so it really is, as it's no secret that teachers have, you know, very high rates of burnout and that they are doing what I believe to be some of, if not the most important work that happens in the world every single day. And so teachers spend their careers, their weeks, their days, each class period, motivating students. And so we really wanted to create something to help the teachers get motivated, stay motivated. And, you know, in the end, what really motivates teachers, what really makes teachers really feel like the work that they're doing 
is when they see or hear about a student that they've taught who's doing well or who has fallen back on something that they taught them at some point in their career in order to, you know, make their life better. And so that's really what we wanted to do is we wanted teachers to have something that they could leave on their desk or leave by their bedside and just read a story or two every night or whenever they needed a little pick-me-up. The, uh, the stories that we got were, oh, I mean, laugh out loud, cry good tears, scream and, and shout in agreement, but just absolutely amazing stories. And I heard from one teacher who said, I was thinking about quitting. And then I read some of the stories in the book and was reminded of the powerful impact of the work that we do. Sometimes you don't hear as a teacher about that impact until many years later. Sometimes you don't hear about it at all. But if we keep coming back to the, the real stories of real students and real teachers, we that's when we know we really have made a difference in our own lives and the lives of so many others. I'm so glad you wrote that book. You know, I always say that our teachers are the second most important person in a child's life outside of their parents because they spend so much time with teachers. And just my personal experience with my children, their teachers influenced their lives, absolutely guided them to where they are today. They would not be there if it wasn't for the teacher. So thank you so much for doing that. So now- Oh yeah, I, I would even go one step further and say that most parents are a student's first teacher. And in many cases, many teachers are a student's parents. <laughs> there you go. That makes complete sense. So now if you had to rewrite that book right now, would you do anything different? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's this sort of pretty much every education book now is pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And so the educational landscape ha landscape has changed so significantly since the pandemic. And so many of us, if not all of us, have moved to remote teaching and virtual teaching and or hybrid teaching. There is an opportunity for a new era of stories. There certainly is a new an opportunity for a new era of strategies and conversations and what we are addressing and dealing with in education. Some of it very exciting, some of it very depressing. But I think there's a real opportunity now to look at not this new way of teaching. Online and virtual teaching have been around for quite a while, but not not on a, a big scale where everybody's doing it all of a sudden. And the, the truth is the the teaching right after school shut down, that wasn't really online teaching. That was kind of what we call pandemic teaching, where we sort of threw things together. Now that we've had some time, as difficult as it's been, and I, you know, I don't mean to make it sound like it's, you know, everybody's happy or anything like that. There are some real struggles going on in many aspects of education, but we're starting to figure some things out on a large scale. We're starting to share best practices. We're starting to really figure out what works, what doesn't work, what does and doesn't work in certain situations. And so I think it's just everything in education has over the past six months had an opportunity to sort of rethought and updated. So along those lines, pre-pandemic, parents had multiple opportunities to get to know their child's teachers. But now with students, like you were just saying, digitally and hybrid and in person, things are a little more difficult. So what suggestions do you have for parents on how to connect with the teachers? Yeah, that is a great question. I have uh, really three suggestions. The first is 
don't wait until there's a problem. So I'll let parents in on a little secret that highly effective teachers know. If you have to call home because of a student issue, you don't want the first time that you call home to be because a student has in trouble. You want to call all year long. You want to call at the beginning of the year. You want to call throughout the year and say, hey, just wanted to let you know, you know your daughter Myra's did really well on the math test. You want to build that relationship with the parent so that when you have to call or if you have to call for thing that a, a conflict or something that needs to be resolved, you know, an unhappy phone call, you've already built that relationship. Well, the same should go for parents as well. Don't wait until there's a problem to call the teacher. Don't wait until you're really angry about something. Don't wait until that student is feeling like they got ripped off on their grade or that they're complaining about something. Or Don't wait until they're totally lost in class. But really trying to make those calls to say, hey, just want to call and say thanks for this. My kid's really progressing. You know, or I've really noticed their writing skills are improving. Reach out when things are good as well. That way, if you've got an issue, if you've got something to discuss that needs to be resolved, the defensiveness is down. So that's the first one is, you know, really don't wait until there's a problem. I think the second suggestion is to remember consistency is key. Send that email consistently once a month. Hey, just checking in, wanted to let you know things are going well, or just wanted to let you know my kid uh, really enjoyed the lesson on the Civil War that you did or on photosynthesis or whatever. It's just like exercise, right? You can exercise for a, a long time just once, you know, every so often, but that's not going to have the same effects as just reaching out consistently. So consistency is key with communication. And third, I always say, you know, remember the ratio, right? We, all of us as parents, when we look at a classroom, if we were to walk into a classroom, our child's classroom, uh, we look at our one kid. We have a ratio of one to one, basically, unless maybe you have twins in the same class. But as parents, we have a ratio of one to one. We look into a class and we see our one kid. Teachers look at a class and they see 30 kids. And so remembering that, Sometimes we see our kid and they're not getting the exact attention that they need. They're not getting their exact needs met and things like that. And so we go, oh, geez. But then my kid's not getting what they need. But then stepping back and going, oh, wait a minute. What if I had to look at all 30 of these kids or all 32 of these kids or however many? If your child is in middle school or above, it may be all 150 of these kids if the teacher has five class periods of 30 kids per day. And so just kind of keeping that in mind, remembering the ratio. And that is obviously big deal for parents of students with food allergies as well, because that ratio is the difference between life or death sometimes or often. We can't, you know, obviously the teacher can't afford sometimes to be looking at all 30 kids when they need to be looking at our kid. And so that relationship from parent to teacher is so critical as well. It's going to have a direct impact on the relationship of the teacher to the student. Thank you so much for those wise tips from the California Teacher of the Year. I love that, that you have that wonderful honor and title. But thank you for those tips. I think those are real worthy. Get out there and put right into action tips. Like everything else, it is open communication and keeping that relationship solid. And I have to say, I miss that in the pandemic because my daughter is in school in person, but they don't want parents on campus. And so I really do miss seeing the teachers saying hello, talking to them, and so forth. So I, again, I really appreciate you giving us tips on how we can continue with those relationships. 
So now my next question for you is, I've seen my daughter kind of grumbling about some of our very beloved teachers at her school. And and it really bothers me because I understand that our teachers are experiencing a challenge just like no other. So how can families offer support and understanding to teachers who, like you mentioned before, were adjusting or learning how to teach online now? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Obviously, the the first thing is just, just have some grace, have some empathy and some compassion. What teachers do is fundamentally hasn't changed, right? What teachers are experts on is explaining things to kids, building relationships, getting and keeping kids engaged. And so that's not going to change just because we've moved to online learning. However, having faith that what teachers are good at is explaining stuff to kids I'll never forget what my first principal, David Geck, ever said to me. He said, a highly effective teacher can teach with a plot of sand and a stick. So you give me give me a blank chalkboard and a piece of chalk. I'm going to find a way to explain whatever concept it is to your student. But it might take a little practice. It might take a little time. It might take a little... We have so much grace with first-year teachers because they're learning, they're still developing, they're making some mistakes. And so to some extent, as an education system, we're all back in this first year of teaching. And so just understanding that what it looks like now is different than what it looked like six months ago. And it's going to be hopefully different than what it looks like a year or two from now. That being said, there's teaching online. And so often as parents, we're focused on, okay, how is the teaching online going? What I would encourage parents listening today to is flip that script a little bit and think about, okay, what about learning online? Just like teachers are learning to teach online, we've got to emphasize to our own students and ourselves that we've got to become really good online learners. There is one of the most marketable skills that all of our students can possibly develop in school is the ability to learn, right? So let's encourage our students to become really good online learners. Now, when you become a really good online learner, then you learn to navigate academic material, of course. But you know what else you learn to navigate? You learn to navigate personalities, right? Just like we have our kids be able to walk into a room and navigate the personality of the teacher, or they join a little league team or or some organized activity, and the coach has issues, things like that, or conflicts. Like We teach them to navigate these social situations. We've got to teach them to navigate social situations online as well, because there's a really good chance that when they're part of the workforce, a lot of it's going to be online. And so learning to be a good online learner is really, really critical. And so anytime there's that frustration, anytime things aren't going well, let's step back and say, you know what? Instead of focusing on the teaching, let's focus on how can you still learn this information? I'll give you another example. My oldest daughter, she said that she wanted to learn the ukulele. And so I bought her an ukulele and signed her up for some lessons. And uh, the lessons, they, you know, they were okay. She, she didn't, you know, she wasn't that crazy about the teacher, sort of got her started, but she wasn't that into it. Finally, she said, dad, you know what? Just stop the lessons. I got this. Okay. I, I said, how are you going to learn without a teacher? She said, I got this. She goes on to YouTube. There's these, you know, ukulele players that she follows on YouTube. She's part of their discussion groups and stuff. She is cranking on the ukulele right now. She's found a way that she prefers to learn. She can stop the video. She can pause and go back. She can reach out to them in the comments section, things like that. She's developed this relationship online and has become quite good 
And so again, it's sometimes it's stepping back and saying, okay, what, what are the teacher's responsibilities as a teacher, but what are my responsibilities as a learner? Because, you know, the truth is our kids are going to have lots of teachers, lots of bosses, lots of coworkers, lots of colleagues over the years to the extent that we can help them become good learners, especially online. That is a critical skill that's going to you know, help define their success. This is absolutely brilliant and just eye-opening because that actually was my next question and you just answered it, is how do we get these students engaged? Because I walked by my daughter one day and they were home doing digital that day and I looked at the screen and I saw foreheads and ceilings and just all sorts of odd things. And I was thinking, where are the students? You know, what do we do with this? But you just explained that. We need to teach them how to be good learners online and digitally. And and you're right, the Zoom meetings that we're all doing, this is here to stay. We'll be doing this in the business world. Colleges will be offering online classes. This is amazing. So now do you have any tips on how, like as a parent, I could start teaching my daughter how to be a good online learner? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think part of it is really, you know, with your child looking at how is it that you like to learn, start with what they really enjoy. Really thinking about, you know, how is it that you like to learn and which methods of learning give you the most joy? For example, I love listening to podcasts. A lot of people, hopefully the people listening today love listening to podcasts, right? But I much prefer that over reading a book. Obviously, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to learn to read or anything like that. But I know that when a new podcast comes out, oh, I am looking forward to my next drive, my next walk, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I've identified that as one of the ways I love to learn. Kind of a bummer because another way that I really love to learn is in an in-person live classroom or at a conference. Those have, you know, been put on hold for basically for quite a while now. And so I really love going to conferences and sitting in sessions and things like that. So that's been taken. But so really working with your students to say, oh, how is it that you love to learn and how can we sort of make that happen? One of the things that we definitely know that's going to increase rates of learning is, especially with youth, is it needs to be interactive. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be live interactive, but if your student or your kid can be in a class where they are check-ins or that they can bounce ideas off of each other, or even if it's, like I said, our oldest daughter will leave comments in the comment section and then the person making the videos will respond to them some sort of way or, or maybe there's just they're taking an online class that's not live but they're doing it with somebody else so that they can talk about it right that's really one of the keys that we know about learning is that when you have just one more person to talk about it with it's just like if you recommend a movie to a friend and they go and they watch the movie and they come back and they say, oh my gosh, I totally love that movie. And then you talk a little bit about that movie and maybe they point out something that you hadn't thought of and you point out something that they hadn't thought of. It's interactive and that really increases that learning. So if we can just have one more person, real person, that they can somehow be interactive with about the material, that's really, really key. And so finding their methods of learning, then also having you know minimum of one other person to be on that journey with. And then also, you know, one of the best teaching and learning strategies that I try to convey to teachers as well as to parents and students is no fancy name for it. It's called pause this video and go back, right? That is magic. Think about all the times you're sitting in a classroom, the teacher goes so fast, you don't write it down or whatever. 
at any point, you can pause this video and go back. That is one of the most powerful learning tools that we have, especially, you know, if your child is a second language learner, they have special needs, they may not process the way that the teacher is teaching. Pause this video and go back. One of the most effective learning strategies that you'll ever come across. Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you. So now before we wind up, is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners today? Just that when things get really tough, as they are, when things get confusing, the one sort of strategy I always recommend, or the, and that myself as well, that we can fall back on are the people around us. The best thing that we can possibly do is surround ourselves with good people, surround ourselves, everybody that we surround ourselves should or could have the the same skill set. But when my wife and I need answers about food allergies, we have surrounded ourselves with people who have those answers. When we have other issues, we have certain people that we can call. When we're not sure sure to vote on a certain proposition, we don't call anybody. We need sort of certain people that we know that we can call. And so really thinking in advance, when I get stuck, you know, when I need some help, who can I reach out to? And then take that extra step to reach out to those people, especially, especially so critical in you know our food allergy community because ultimately it is the people that we surround ourselves with that are going to help not only feed our soul but help us weather any storm that um, that's going to come and and that and of course get those times tables mastered like I said if if you know a kid who needs to master their times tables please check out multiplicationnation.com it's totally free for an entire month and I will not stop until every kid master their times table so they can be successful in math and in life. Surround yourself with good people and master those times tables. Your kids will do great. I guarantee it. Alex, thank you so much. You have just downloaded so much fabulous information that we can take and run with. I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. So thank you for being on the show. And I do look forward to seeing you again when we can get together and be at a teen retreat. So thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks to you and the, Eleanor and the whole team. In fact, it's been an honor to be a part of this and uh, looking forward to many more in the future. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, share, and review our podcast, and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Have a great day, and always be kind to one another.